you to pay attention the best you can. The topic this morning is one that's a little different than what I've been doing, and we're going to read the passage of Scripture, but I'm not going to dwell on that particular passage as much as I normally do for other passages to fold in. And so our basic uh, message this morning will be from the Gospel of Matthew in verse and chapter 23. Matthew in 23. It is the Christ denouncing the Pharisees. Be good for you if you don't know what a Pharisee is to look that up and figure it out. Scathing remarks from the Lord to the Pharisees. Harsh judgment to the Pharisees. Many people are against that today. They think that Jesus was a gentle little uh, fellow that never laid up people out. And he did. And he did because they needed it. And it was the last uh, effort he took. It was the last stand. As we get into the 23rd of uh, Matthew, uh, just, before, just before he leaves the temple for the final time and goes on the Olivet Mountain and gives his final discourse, his final prophetic discourse, he leaves the temple. Now the interesting thing about him leaving the temple is this, throughout the Gospels before this, he called it my father's house, my father's house. And now he says, your house, I leave to you desolate, it's yours, you can have it. He walked away. It was his last time in the temple, he walked away, he knew he was heading for the cross. He had one more message to give, and it was to his disciples. And it was what's recorded in 25 and 6 of Matthew, the discourse on Mount Olivet, where he told them and basically answered three questions. What's the end of the age? When will these things be? And so forth. He said, and he laid it out very clearly. We have a, we have a different view than they had, and we have an advantage over them. They were hearing the news for the first time of things that were almost unbelievable. We've seen it and studied it, held it in our hands, and so we get to see some different things. But it's amazing, amazing layout of the future prophetically. But why wouldn't it be? It was God. It was God telling him what was going to happen and how it was going to be. And folks, let me ask, tell you something. That's exactly how it's going to be. The unfulfilled prophecy as to today will, fill up, will be fulfilled exactly as he said. Not kind of like it. Not something that reminisce of the fact. It is going to be exactly as he said. He is God. And I hope you don't know that this morning. And so I'm going to do something I typically do in something in this arena. We're going to go to the last of the chapter and back into this passage. We're going to go to the last of the chapter and back into the passage. We begin in verse 37. And after his scathing, after the Lord's scathing rebuke of these Pharisees and scribes, we see his heart again. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou hast killed the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You see what he said? Now this is a fascinating thing, because he leaves, he fights for, he cleanses twice what he calls his father's house. This, he said, is my father's house. This one stood up and said, I am the son of Almighty God. He publicly declared and became arch enemy number one to the religious people of his day. And I'm telling you today, watch out for religious people. You will have much fellowship with redeemed people. But religious people are dangerous. The Pharisees heard him talk once and they said to kill him. Why? Why? We're going to look at why today. I want to say to you this morning as we move into this message, I'm going to be talking about one topic mostly. All of these things fill in one topic. And it solves the mystery of us as Christians with a non-believing world and the fight that goes on, the clash that is there, the frustration that each side feels for the other. This is the answer to all the things that make us frustrated 
with the world around us. And here's what I'm talking about this morning. I want you to get this, and I want you not to forget this during the message. There are two kinds of knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is a head knowledge, and there is a heart knowledge. There is a head knowledge where people believe that he is Christ. There is a heart knowledge that accepts him as Savior and Lord. And there are both people in the church today, and the world is filled with head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge. It, it changes everything. It changes everything. A heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the word for head knowledge is gnosis. And Paul came and he said, I'm always fighting this group of people called the Gnostics. They always think they're so smart. If you think someone was smart, you talk to the Apostle Paul, brilliant. And he said, why can't you move past your smart? Why can't you move past that? Why can't you see past yourself? And he said, I come to you preaching another thing, and it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's your greatest need. Not more knowledge. But true understanding. A heart understanding. The word is gnosis. Head knowledge. Epinosis is the word for heart knowledge. A heart knowledge. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know the difference in the people. There are people who have a heart knowledge and just have this thing where they're just Christians. They just are. Do we falter and fall? I'm telling you, we do. Does, it make, does, it make, does the heart knowledge of Jesus Christ make you perfect? Long way from it. But with the head knowledge, there's nothing but frustration. Nothing but frustration in the person and in the people around the person. Jesus came and said this, you are hypocrites. You're play acting. Hypocrite means actor, play actor, living out a role that's not true to yourself. You're a hypocrite. Now when God called people hypocrites, they're on dangerous ground. And the last thing he says to them is this, you're going to hell and you're taking people with you. You're not only going to hell by being a hypocrite, a play actor, a head knowledge person, but you're in the way of people who would gain a heart knowledge. You're blocking them from learning and understanding who I am. He said, oh, the greater condemnation will fall upon you. And then he made a very frightening statement that said, in the generations to come, the generations to come, be careful of traditional religion. Be very careful. I started studying the Bible for really, really studying the Bible when I was about 20 years old. I believe a lot different than my parents believed. I believe a lot different than my grandparents believed. I'll tell you a secret. I believe a lot different than I believed 10 years ago. I believe different than I believed last weekend. To tell you the truth. Because the more you know about him, the more you love it. And the picture gets more clear all the time. The muddy waters clear up. And you say, oh, okay, okay. And so what he says here is, O Jerusalem, that killed the prophets, how often would I have, how often would I have, but it's about you, wasn't it? it I would have, but you wouldn't let me. You would not. He says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. That word desolate, interesting enough, is this. I leave your house unto you a desert place. And it's the same word used in Mark in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It's the same word used. Desolation means the wilderness. I leave this house of supposed to be my father's house to you. It's yours now. I leave it a wilderness. And guess what you live with in the wilderness? Yes, we're like the wheat, the wild beasts. You live with wild beasts in the wilderness. And I'm telling you today, we live among the beasts. Listen, watch. Listen, we live among the beasts. When I was seven years old, my dad moved our family to a farm, from town to a farm. And I got my first uh, view over right. Uh, right in my hand. I got my first view of animals and beasts. And you know what beasts do? Whatever they feel like doing. 
And they had no shame. I was a little boy, and I go, whoa, look at that there. I said, that's what they're doing right there. And the God gave you and me something that said this. Some things should be done privately. But you know what beasts can't do? They can't blush. They don't want to. They do what they feel like doing when they feel like doing it. Tell me we haven't evolved into beasts. Right in front of everybody, they just do it because that's what they want to do. That's the life of a beast. You look at a beast and you go, okay, do what you got to do. And today people are doing that. But we took it a step further. We have men among us that sit and stare at computer screens and watch people act like beasts and boy, they enjoy the beastiness of it. But boy, they come to church with a different face. And the Lord said, you're a hypocrite. Your end is bad. Can you spell bad? Your end's going to be bad now. Now listen, I want to tell you something. The difference is a heart knowledge and a head knowledge of Jesus Christ. It always makes me a little leery and particularly weary to be around someone who starts spouting scripture. You're going to have a hard time finding someone who likes the Bible better than I do. You look for someone who enjoys scripture more than I do, you better get to looking. It's going to take you some time. I love it. It's a passion for me. But you get around someone that walks a little stiffer, starts spouting scripture at you. There's nothing wrong with the fellowship of the word. It is wonderful. But beware of the man that walks around, old brother, oh my brother, and starts spouting off scripture. You know what the Lord says. Jeremiah 6, 8. Listen to this. I'll just read it. Jeremiah, I'm going fast today. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. Jeremiah 6, 8 says this. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. What did he say? In a prophecy, in a warning of a prophecy of Jeremiah, the Lord said, be instructed. Learn from this now. Lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate. What's that word desolate? Look at wilderness. And you would not. Turn with me to Proverbs in chapter 1. Hold your finger there. Mark your place. Proverbs in chapter 1. Begin in 24 with me. The Lord says, because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh when your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You know anybody like that? Mm, boy, they live their life. And I want to tell you something about these folks. As a preacher, I get called in when they get to their last breath. I'll tell you something. They die a bitter, sorrowful life. Oh, I had lands and houses and I put together a life and boy, if you weren't proud of me, I sure was. Did you see what I have? Can you see what I have? Those men, women go to the graves so desperately lonely. Not about what you have. It's about who you have. Not about what you have. The Lord said, I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. Look, it says in verse 30, they would none of my counsel. They despise all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. What do you think about that last sentence this last year? What do you think about that? The play was right in front of us. 
Do you believe with me this morning that God is big? Do you believe he could think, wave his hand, and the whole thing changes? You think he could have stayed the plague from the world if he said so? He let her play out, didn't he? He let her play. And we said in real time and watched the drama. We said in real time and watched the drama. And here's the world I lived in the last 13 months. Fear and anger. And it wasn't, it wasn't outside the church versus inside the church. It wasn't outside families versus inside families. It just went in, through the entire world. Fear and anger. And let me say something about those. They often wear the same face. They speak the same language. If you're fearful long enough, you're going to get angry. And if you're not afraid, and other people are, you're going to be angry at them. If you're not in the right spiritual place. Can I tell you one more time without you getting mad at me? Man is not going to fix the problem. Only God can fix it. Only God can fix it. We've had men and women trying for years and it's just getting worse. Only the Lord is going to come back and fix the problem. We are not in a political debate. We're in a spiritual battle. Please know that. Please know that. You can be angry at whoever. But after we get done today, I hope you'll understand that they cannot see the answer. They can't see it. Neither can they know. The Bible says they can't know it. Got no reference point. They got the world, the flesh, and the devil telling them everything that they, that's all they got. They got nothing else. They don't have the teacher to explain the problem and the answer. And so we have this. They would not, the rejection of Christ, they would not. It says in Matthew 23 again, if you go back there with me, 23 and verse 1. Then Jesus spake unto the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. You know anybody like that? Oh, I'm in charge and I'm telling you, but I don't have to do it. Interestingly enough, the people who make the laws in our country seem to feel above the law. The people who make the laws seem to feel above the law. It's the idea of a hypocrite. It says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move with them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms of the feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the markets and to be called of men rabbi, rabbi. You know anybody like that? They said, be ye not, verse 8, Matthew 23 and 8, be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. I've had that debate with many people who call men father upon the earth. And I've been told I'm wrong every time. Anybody not understand the wording there? Call no man father upon the earth, for you have one father, which is in heaven. Clear? I think it is. I've been told I read that wrong. So I went back and reread it. I don't know how a monkey couldn't get that one right. Oh, you don't understand, my friend. You don't understand. Listen, I want to say something about the Lord this morning again. He means what he says, and it's not playtime with him. He loves you. Oh, he loves you. He's going to help you. He's going to take things away from you that are bad for you and give you all the good things of the world. He loves to do that for his children, but he means what he says. Now, parents, you want to be something for your kids. You want to be something your kids will always, always admire. Mean what you say. Do what you say. Mean what you say. You see this? 
he is now rejecting elitism and he's calling it straight up. And I really have people who are men who tell me they don't believe in that part of the Bible. They, the Holy Spirit was not part of that because it's written so harsh. You know what's, you know what's harsh? Here, you're going to hell and there's no redemption. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You talk about harsh. You think you're going to barter with Christ and tell him, and tell, don't you remember I was in church all the time? Yeah, you were. Boy, if you'd invited me, it'd been something. If I'd have been in those services, we'd have had something going, but yeah, you were at church. You had your big old face in, in front of everybody all the time. Well, I never heart knew you. He had knows everybody. He doesn't heart know everybody. He's everybody's creator, but he's not everybody's father. We need to understand these things. The church is suffering so bad today because we have gotten involved with from my childhood. About the time I was a little child, where my grandchildren are, television hit the country and started being a big thing. And we sat and watched hypocrites every night and admired them. And look what they've done with their play acting. Look how nasty they've gotten. And those are the most admired people in our country. Why people listen to the vulgar people of Hollywood tell them how to govern their lives, I'll never know. But it's true. Let no man be called rabbi. Verse 10 says, Neither call, be called master. So one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. That goes against human nature. That goes against what we know is natural. That's why it has to be supernatural. That's why it has to be not fleshly, but of the Spirit of God. Not natural. Not natural. It's the most natural thing for a supernatural being to humble themselves in the presence of Christ and be a servant to his children. It's the most natural thing in the world because it's supernatural. It's natural only to the spirit born to live a supernatural life. Very few do. Very few do. The greatest thing I fight as a preacher, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm just saying this, the biggest thing I fight about getting people to the church and people saved is they know Christians. And they have an argument. It's a false one. And it's an excuse, but that's, there's a lot of truth in it. That's the hard part. Great, said uh, the prophet to David. Great, you have caused the enemy to blaspheme. You've, gave, you've given the enemy great occasion to blaspheme. This God's spouting king of Israel did what? With who? And took care of it How? You killed him? What? You killed his wife? Why? Or you killed his her husband? Why? Well, we had a baby on the way. What was wrong? And, well, that's how you fix one problem. You make it much greater with the second one. I do not pick on people from the Bible. But what we can learn from them. Every person in this room knows the tendency to cover up one problem with a bigger one. Everyone. Everyone knows it. But it only makes it worse. Romans 12 and 3 says this, For I say, through the grace given unto me, this is Paul speaking, I say this to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You have more faith than someone else? You have a greater faith and easier faith? You believe it easier than someone else? Let me tell you this. God gave that to you. Don't you be badgering other people that have a harder time seeing it. Because the vision of God is a gift. The heart knowing of God is a gift. That gift can be given if it's asked for. If you plead for, God, for the gift of seeing, He will give it to you. But the Bible says clearly here that some people just get it. 
God's measure. It's his measure. I don't understand all the workings of God. That's why I get to go to, to God's school. I get to go to the millennial reign for a thousand years and learn about him. I'm so excited about that. I've heard some good preachers. Have you? Okay, look away. I've seen some good, I've heard some good preachers in my life. I've heard some Bible teaching that give you goosebumps and chills, make you cry. That was from man's lips. Can you imagine Christ the teacher? Can you imagine with me Jesus Christ on the throne teaching the kingdom principles to his children? Can you imagine a Christian saying they don't want to go to that class? Well, they tell me that. You know all you people, by the way, whoever's listening on Radio Land, I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. You're worried about being bored in heaven. Don't worry, you're not going. That's your least fear. If you're worried about being bored in heaven, it's your least fear because you're not going. If you think Christ is going to bore you, you, you don't harden the way. You don't even come close. Jesus. Jesus instructing his children. Do I have any television up here? Is there a mall we can go to? I've heard that lecture before. Because, you know, Jesus will be redundant on those things because he only has a couple things to say. I'm telling you this, folks. People talk that way to me, and they also say this. They're going to stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and straighten him out. And I tell them, because I love them, you can be more ignorant, but you'd have to work at it. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're going to stand up to Jesus and explain your life and tell him why you did. He's going to go, oh my word, I had no idea. Why you're in. You're a leader of the nations. Didn't see it. Didn't know why you did those things. Thank you for that. People talk that way to you. And when you say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, and I've lived a while with some dumb folk, and they get upset. You're making fun of me. No, you are. You're mocking your very existence when you think you're going to tell Christ what's what. You know what I know about it? I believe in his presence. He's going to say, Don, you can stand up now. Breathe. Come on, take a breath. Breathe. I believe that. And boy, it's going to be hard to tell him off when you're trying to struggle for breath. But people arrogantly, ignorantly believe they're going to tell Jesus Christ what the score is. I hope you don't know anybody. You're not that number. Now listen to the gymnastics of the human flesh. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, brethren, this is Romans 10 and 1. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul said, my prayer for Israel is that they'll be saved. I want them to be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now let's read that with the words as Paul wrote them, as far as knowledge goes. Paul says, uh, my heart's desire is that Israel will be saved. For I bear them record, he said, I, I can give you a witness and a testimony to their zeal for God. They're very zealous. And man, they believe it. But it's the word zeal, if you look it up in the, the connotation there, is they have a head knowledge, uh, an intellectual understanding of God. They know he's there. They know God exists. And they have a head knowledge of God, but not according to knowledge. That word knowledge, look it up. I look it up. That word knowledge is a heart knowledge. They have a head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. And they being ignorant, that's no knowledge. Where, where are you in that group? Is Christ in your head, your heart, or is he just not, are you just ignorant of the whole thing? Folks. This year, I have prayed more than I've ever prayed, I believe. I have asked God more questions than I've ever asked Him. And I believe He allowed us to watch in real time 
who is who. I believe that with all my heart. I believe you said there are hypocrites, there are play actors, there are heart knowledge, head knowledge, and no knowledge. And they're all around you, and they all call themselves different things. All of those people are in the churches. All of those people are outside the churches. Families are going to be divided. Have you read that in the Bible before? Families will be divided. It did. It did. Church families and physical families have been divided this last year. One believes one thing with everything in it, the other believes against it. And, uh, and the human condition says, if you don't believe like me, I can't be around you, and you're not necessary. That's what we've come to in our, in our world. We don't have a love for the other members of the body like the Bible talks about. We really don't. We're going to have our way or we're going to cause trouble. And i got to say this as a pastor of a church. Goodbye. If you can't reach across the aisle and love someone that thinks different than you, that has a different perspective, and by the way, let me say this, a whole set of different problems at their house. There's something wrong with your heart. Bad wrong with your heart. Paul says, oh, there's a zeal. Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the group, by the way, of the zealous people of this world in this mess. I'm in the zealous group. But boy, you better bring your heart into play. You better look around you and see who's suffering and say this. I don't suffer that. You know, there's a lot of maladies in this world I don't suffer. But they're real. They are real. There are people who suffer things that you and I can't even imagine. And they suffer them. They're very real to them. We don't mock them for having trouble. We comfort them and try to help them. And try to understand them with our heart. You see the Lord mocking people? He didn't mock people. It said he looked at them having compassion and pity and said, come to me. And he said, here's your problem. And he said, you have a demon. You have this and you have that. And we're going to get rid of that. Trust me. So what's the problem here? They had a zeal, they had a head knowledge, but they're not according to heart knowledge. For they being ignorant, which is without knowledge of God's righteousness, go about to establish their own righteousness. It's all here in three verses. This, that's the three people. What's the problem? And what is the answer? The next verse is four that says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. What's the answer? Faith. Real, honest Christ faith. Read your Bible. You know what I, I used to read even as a pastor from the pulpit looking at the words I read faith in Jesus Christ. Most of the time it says the faith of Christ. Man there's a difference. Do you have faith in Christ? Yes. Do you have the faith of Christ? <laughs> That's a different question. Do I have the faith of Christ? That's a different question. He went to his death to the cross and he said this Father. Oh Father. I don't trust anybody down here, but I trust you. I've learned one thing down here that I knew before I came is true. I don't trust any of them. Well, this schizophrenic crowd of selfish, lying people. And those are my disciples outside. It gets rough. And he said this, oh, Father, to you in your hands. I commit my spirit into your hands. Whose hands do you go in? Whose hands do you allow to hold you? This is people that you trust. People that you trust. And I'm going to say this about every baby I've ever known. You can hang them like a dish rag if you do it without dropping them. Drop them once and they're nervous from now on. Can I say this to you? Most people have dropped me. The Lord never has. You believe that? Most people have dropped me one time or another. I get it. I dropped them back. I didn't mean to. I've lived my life. I'm a human. I'm a fleshly man. I'm a sinful man. And I dropped them back. Somewhere along the way, I did something that was harsh or hard or by mistake in their life. And I hurt them. And I dropped them back. But the Lord has never dropped me. I started calling him by name when I was four years old. 
and he gave me a gift. He gave me a gift of seeing. He gave me a gift of knowing who people are. I was scared. I was little. And he gives it to women, and he gives it to animals, and he gives it to little boys that are afraid if they ask him. I didn't trust the adult world when I was little. And I found out when I got big, I was pretty sharp. Adults are not to be trusted, kids. It's the way it is. We act like our parents. And we're trying our best to have you not act like us. I had three children. Still do. I have three children. And uh, they went out in the world and came back and they doubled the number. Now I got six children. And then they got together and they doubled it again. Now I got 12 children. What do you have? Do they trust you? Do they trust you? We have folks, uh, my peers, we have a generation coming up after us very cynical and very sarcastic. And they have every right in the world to be. We have a cynical, sarcastic generation following our hearts. And they have every right to be. My daughter brought a boy home. And he never left. How you doing, Alex? I told Alex this. And boy, I meant it. You heard her, I'll kill you. And I said it. After I said this, welcome to the family. This is your home. I hope you please that. You're now one of my children. I found out in short order I had to protect him and not her. <laughs> but I want to say to you, that's how you feel. But my children went out and brought three more home, and now I have six children. My home is their home. Is that right? We feel that way. We mean it. They have, they have individually told me they were grateful for their childhood and the things I brought them. But what they're bringing me is unbelievable. Little girls in particular. Little girls in particular. Fathers, be very careful. Here's what you got to tell you. Here's what you got to do with your little girls. Listen carefully. Make them feel secure, loved, and show them what a man who loves them looks like. So they don't have to go out guessing, trying to pick the right one. A little girl should see this every day of her life. My dad loved mom so much that I want that for my future. And I feel so secure in his love for me. And I've talked to little girls now that have grown up and they married grown and their life is a hot mess and they have all the things against them and I'll say, what happened to you? Well, my dad told me he was ashamed of me. And guess what? Oh my God. To hear that from your father. Yeah. Told me not. My life is going to be what it is and I went out and married this guy and that's what I believed. I believed I was, he was right, and I wasn't nothing, and, and terrible, and I wasn't worthy, and I wasn't lovable. My marriage is creepy. And guess what? Dad just took his head and said, see, told you so. Oh, there's a, that's happening. I counsel more of that than anything else in this world. Little girls who marry creeps because their dad was a creep. And the generations go on. I uh, am so grateful to watch the fathers in the church. I'm so grateful to see Christian men loving their wives and loving their daughters, teaching their sons to be men, their daughters to be women, and showing what real love looks like. Dad, you can cry. You can laugh. You can cry. You can hug them. You can tell them exactly what they mean. All little girls need that. A little girl whose dad has treated her properly and scripturally goes out in the world and she can turn down one after another knowing this, you're not him. Want to go to a movie Friday? I do. Are you going? I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> I am going to a movie, not with you. You want to do this? You want to do that? I do. And when I find the right one, I'll do that. But it's not going to be with you. 
And you know what the world will say when you live like that? Man, you're harsh. You want to know what's harsh? Six months after she marries a creep, it's harsh. He keeps forgetting to go to work. Keeps forgetting to help around the house. All he can do is lay on the couch and belch and watch sports and tell me what I'm not doing. And I've heard that story. You think it's silly. I've heard that story again and again and again and again. We have a cynical, cynical group coming up behind us with all the reason in the world. Now I want you to go to Philippians in chapter 3. This is the answer. This is Paul's testimony. This is what Paul had to say about his own life. And I wonder what is your testimony this morning. And I wonder what is mine. Philippians 3 and 6, and Paul says, concerning zeal. Now he just said in Romans 10 and 2 about the zeal of the Israelite people who had a head knowledge. Paul says, concerning zeal, speaking of himself, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. Paul says, I was blameless. Oh, I was a good little Pharisee. Well, I was a good Pharisee. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and do count them dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, not in Christ, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Listen to what he says. And here's the reasoning Paul wants all of these things straightened out that I might know him. Did you know that before this was written, Paul spent time one-on-one -on -one with Jesus Christ in the deserts of Arabia? Read Galatians chapter 1. He said, I was born, I was born, born out of time. When all the disciples were being chosen, I wasn't even around. And then Judas left. The Lord called me. And you know what he said? Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? He wanted to know who he was. And he said, um, what would you have me to do? Those are the greatest questions in the Bible. But listen to what Paul said. Let's read it one more time. Let's read it with the words Paul said. He said in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the head knowledge, the scientific, intellectual knowledge of Jesus Christ. He said, I want to know about him. Oh, I want to know about him. In verse 10, he says that I may know, I may heart know, I may feel, perceive, and understand with my heart this Jesus Christ. If by any means I might attain, that's to get a hold of, I might attain, get hold of the resurrection of the dead. And he says in verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize for the high calling of God in Christ. That's over the top invitation. The high calling of God is that invitation is over the top. And then he gives his woes unto the Pharisees. We're going to continue there next week, by the way. And next week I want to say this to you. We're going to bring this up and talk about it in more detail. So I, want to, I want to just have your attention for a moment. We're going to close with this. I want you to listen to it. I want you to meditate on it this week. It's from Matthew 13. It is, it is Christ's teaching on the kingdom. And he teaches the parable of the sower, beginning in verse 3 of Matthew 13, and we've all heard that so many times, we're going to talk about it some more next week. But he says in 3, 13 and 9 of Matthew, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean? What does that mean? He says, for whosoever hath threw me when I was a young Christian. This one threw me. I, I, I read it over and over and over, and it threw me, and it threw me until I understood Read a little farther, and it will tell you what it's talking about. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. 
he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. I'm straight up with you. I, that, I wrestled that for years. In my ignorance, I wrestled that for years. Therefore, uh, speak I in the parables, he said, for they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. Now listen carefully, and we're going to go home now. He said in the 13th, the 13th chapter, the 15th verse, this is God, this is Jesus talking. He said, for this people's heart is wax gross. Why can't they hear and see? Their heart's fat. Their heart's clogged up. It's wax gross. Thick, dense. This people's heart is wax gross. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes, listen carefully now, they have closed. Turn away. He said, I called and you refused. How many times I would gather you as a mother hen or chicks, but you would not. You can have it, it's yours. And look what we did with his house. Look what we've done with his house. He cleansed it twice, and the third time he said, it's not even worth cleaning. It's yours. You can have it. It's so defiled, so nasty, so disgusting, so dirty. You can have it. You're, I'm done. I'm leaving. And here's the heart. This wax grows. They were so glad he left. They were so glad he left. I was standing by a boy in high school one day, and a man that was his authority. And he said to the boy, I'm not going to discipline you anymore. I'm done. You're not worth it to me. It's easier to do it myself than to argue with you and have you do it wrong anyway. I'm done with you. I was 13 years old. I watched that conversation. I thought to myself, that would crush me. And the boy said, good. Good, I'm glad you're going to leave me alone. Can I tell you, I've watched the boy grow up close to 70 years of age. Total wash. Total wash. One day, the authority said to the boy, I'm not going to discipline you anymore. I'm not begging you to do it. You're not worth the battle. I'd rather do it myself than have you fuss with me, contend with me, and then do it wrong anyway. And the boy said, leave me alone. Jesus Christ turned to the temple. It's all yours, I'm done. so woefully ignorant of most things in this world that bother me a bit. Because one day the Lord touched my heart and opened my, my eyes and he said, this, me. It's me. I'm the Lord. I love you. Well, I don't know where he stands on it right now, but I've never gotten over it. And I'm more grateful every day of my life. Every day of my life, I'm more grateful that the Lord came to me, called me, welcomed me, and love me because if you open your eyes and open your ears and understand with your heart you shall be converted and I can heal you what the verse says I can listen I shared the gospel with a thousand people in my lifetime I know it and 900 of those people looked at me and grinned and smirked and turned their ears away. And all but 
but shut their eyes and stopped their ears. They did everything they could do and not physically do it, laughing at me because I need a crutch in this world. I don't need a crutch, I need an ambulance. I don't need a crutch, I need a wheelchair. I don't need something to help me walk, I can't walk. And the Lord said this, I'll hold you. You stay close to me and lean on me and I'll hold you. And he's held me every day. How about you? Oh, he's held me every day. I hope you have that. I hope you open your ears and open your eyes and allow your heart to believe in Jesus Christ. Most people who can't or won't do that at any particular time have been hurt by somebody in authority over them in their past and are just not willing to let go. I say this in closing, he won't hurt you. Oh, he won't hurt you. To the contrary, you start living a life you never knew existed. The family heals, the job heals, your body heals. He gets better. He's the healer. He makes you look at a wife you've had for years and see a girlfriend. He makes you look at a job that you walked away from every night so glad to go home and be grateful for the opportunity to earn a living for the family. But with a whole new attitude, he's the healer. I hope you believe it. Pray with me, Father. I thank you now and we thank you together with a corporate heart for who you are. Your love is awesome. You, Father, alone, the God of this universe, loving us enough to send your Son, carrying in Enough for us, Lord, to send one after another after another to plead with us to come. And we killed them. We sent them away. We laughed at the scorn. We hurt their homes. We took their families. And today America's in the same spot. It is now a crime to love you. Father, keep us strong. Keep our eyes on you and not the world. For we know that the help that comes from this world is going to come by you as a resource, as a source, as the power. And so we ask you to move your hand. We ask you to say so and to heal our land. We ask for a turning of the people to turn back to you. A great revival in the church. Another understanding of what it means, a fresh generational understanding of the fear of the Lord. Father, we pray for it. We see your work, we see your ways, and we know this, that you cleanse only after the house has been cleansed, your house has been cleansed. And so, Father, you either cleanse it or you walk away, and we're asking you to cleanse. Help us to see the truth. Help us to love you more. Come, Father. Do what only you can do in our nation today, we pray. In Jesus' name.